Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hi, Changemaker. It's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding, and I'm here to help you grow capacity, increase funding, and to advance mission, all from the comfort of your own home. All right, guys, so we are getting into it today with Brady Josephson from Next After Institute, and this is a really fantastic interview. I really enjoyed meeting Brady and just to see what they're doing in the online fundraising space. Really, really awesome and very relevant for this time. So as we're navigating through the uh, pandemic here of COVID-19 and things are starting to reopen, we're starting to see more and more um, kind of coming out um, as we weather the storm. We're also seeing, of course, an increase on online functions, whether that be your in your Zoom meetings, you know, you're having with your different people, your clients, whether that might be actually getting more savvy on social media, growing your email list, trying to figure out how to get donors, um, you know, not just having a donor button on your website, that those types of things. But a lot of you, it might be content overload at this point in time. Huge learning curves, a lot of new information. And the thing is, you might say, well, you know what? I need to learn all of this, invest all my resources right now into this. But what have Brady on the show today, and as somebody who actually does a lot of research and, and who has spent years in the space as far as online marketing and online fundraising, he really comes at it from another perspective um, as far as, yes, here are some simple things that you can do, and here's why. So when looking at online fundraising, remember, if you just grab a course for a for-profit you know, entity, maybe they're saying, oh, here's how to do online marketing for all businesses, that might not translate directly into nonprofits, how you're going to be doing your online marketing, so to speak. So he really speaks directly about online fundraising for nonprofits. A very different ballgame, you guys. Really loved what he said. I learned a lot and I hope you do as well as you listen to the show. And I'm also just want to give a big shout out for everyone who was able to take advantage of the, the sale we had on all of my master courses. So we had 50% off through the month of April. And a lot of you guys came on board. I'm super excited to get to meet you more in your one-on-one consultations and in your group uh, monthly calls. Like I'm really excited to have more people to our Changemaker team. And I just can't wait to have more conversations with you. And of course, if you were not able to get in on that at this time, um, you know, just due to other circumstances, you just have a lot on your plate right now, etc. Um, just look for our sales coming up in the near future. You know, we're going to be kind of repositioning and doing some things throughout the summer. And I actually will have one of the girls who works with me, Becky. She's my program manager. She's going to come on the show, actually. And we're going to tell you behind the scenes what we've been doing and grant writing and funding to reposition during this pandemic and then some of our plans for the upcoming summer. And I think that would really be beneficial for all of you guys to see um, just what we're doing and if that can apply to your freelance um, consultancy or to your nonprofit. All right, guys. So without further ado, here's Brady. Hello, hello, hello. This is Holly Rustic with Grant Writing and Funding. And I am super excited today to bring on Brady Josephson. And Brady is absolutely amazing. We've been chatting it up before we even started recording today. And he's all the way up in Vancouver, Canada. And of course, I'm on Guam. So if this is our alliance of the Canadians and the Americans meeting up today. <laughs> but more like than it. that, yeah. So thanks so much for coming on the show, Brady. I so appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. 
This is yeah. going to be fun. So just to give you guys a little background, for those of you who don't know Brady, he is the managing director of the Next After Institute, where he performs original research, develops evidence-based resources. He is also an adjunct professor and international speaker. His thoughts have been published in the Huffington Post, NPR, and the Chronicle of Philanthropy. He is also host of the Generosity Freak Show, which I'm super excited about because it is another podcast. So he is a fellow podcaster. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And he looks at the 360 degree of generosity, right? So I was like, oh, that's so exciting because that's what we talk about on the show. We talk about you guys as change makers. So I'm really excited about that. So welcome, welcome, Brady. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I was, you know, I'm usually on the other side of the microphone. So this is kind of, kind of nice to be on this side for a change. Yeah. You're like, oh, answer questions. (laughs) Yeah. This is way easier. This is way easier. (laughs) I knew you were a podcast host when you emailed me and you're like, so do you have specific questions or do you just want to chat? And I was like, oh, yeah, he's not the guy. We're going to chat. <laughs> yep, <laughs> of course, yep. we have specific questions as well because that's how we roll. But the Next After Institute, for those of you who don't know, can you kind of talk about it a little bit just to give a little background before we talk about how you got, you know, interested in being a part of that effort? Yeah, and, and they're kind of linked. But, you know, our goal at the Institute is to really to provide research-backed uh, resources to nonprofits, so evidence-based and research-based, specific to the world of online fundraising, to help nonprofits optimize and grow their giving, grow their online fundraising. And the reason why that I, I think that is so crucial is often um, what donors actually do is actually counterintuitive to what we as fundraisers and marketers think they do. And so often when when we'll talk, we'll actually show experiments. So we have over 2,500 experiments in our research library that's publicly available and we'll share some and we'll just show option A and option B and we'll have people vote, you know, people that have been fundraising for years and years and years and, you know, experts in the field and all this stuff. And we'll say, which do you think? And they'll vote and then we'll show them the result and they'll almost all get it wrong. And now we kind of cherry pick some of the most counterintuitive examples, but you hear a lot of stuff like it's got to be visual. It's got to be short, got to be video. And we go in the research library and we go for fundraising, no visuals, no video, longer form copy almost always outperforms what you think is best practice or what people are saying. And there's just no evidence to support. Yeah, right. So all we're saying is whether it's long form or not, we don't actually care. The point is there has to be evidence or -hmm. research to support why we do what we do. And I think for too often, we've gone about fundraising without research and evidence, which I think is why giving is stagnating and actually declining in terms of the number of people giving in Canada and the US. We're getting worse at fundraising. It's because we're not relying on data and evidence. We're relying on our own intuition and hoping that it works. So that's really what we're trying to combat at the Institute. Oh, I love that. I love that research component. And I mean, that's just, it's so important as we're going through everything, you know, and and it's hard to gather that sometimes, like you said, you want to just jump on the bandwagon of like, oh, this is working for for profit. So it must work for nonprofits. And yes, nonprofits are still a business, but they have different messaging and different impact and different ways to measure that. Right. So there, that makes sense then that you don't do everything the same, but at the same time, I think it's important, the resources that you guys provide, and we'll talk more about those later, as far as helping nonprofits get online and actually doing a lot of the things that they need to do online to connect with people. But yeah, but before we go that, can you just kind of talk about your background? Because it's very, it's varied. I love it. You're an adjunct professor. You have all these other things that you do. Um, You know, you're an entrepreneur um, at heart. So, and a dedicated researcher. So can you just kind of, yeah, talk about what got you involved with all of this? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the, the short version because it's, it's kind of a longer story. But, you know, the, the shorter version is um, I grew up in a very, you know, values oriented home. And so really grew, grew up with kind of a passion and an interest in, in how do I best help other people. So that was always instilled in me from a young age. And so I was going to be an elementary education teacher thinking, you know, I can give back by helping kids. I love kids. I went to school in the north side of Chicago. And so my kind of dream after, after my first year, my vision for myself was to kind of teach and maybe, you know, more kind of um, depressed neighborhoods where maybe there aren't as many, you know, positive male role models or, you know, so the, the classroom is only one component. So that's how I was going to go about it. But as I was going to school, I took a business class and it like changed my world. It really did. I was like, this is awesome. There's like competition and strategy and numbers and all these kind of things that I really found myself gravitating towards and loving that mm -hmm. maybe weren't as present, you know, in elementary education or whatever it was. So I was kind of learning this more about myself. And you know, you're like 18, 19. What do you know about yourself? You know, very little. So I'm learning that about myself. And then at the same time in 2004, so I'm kind of dating myself now, but there was the <laughs> tsunami in Southeast Asia. In mm -hmm. you know, a quarter of a million people lost their lives and just yeah. devastated communities. And that stands out to me because A, it was obviously a, a massively important event in the world, but also the school I was at had like a, a prayer vigil of sorts. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't really want to go. I was coming back from out of town, but this girl that I liked was there. So I was like, okay, <laughs> fine, I'll go to this vigil so I can see this girl pretty much. And so I kind of like slunk into the back row. And then I remember I'm getting chills thinking about it because seeing like, picture after picture of just the, the devastation was truly just like heartbreaking. But then they also showed pictures of responders and NGOs on the ground that were actually there to pick up the pieces and help people restore their lives. And I remember saying, that's what I want to do, you know, with my life from here on out. And so I changed my major the next week to start studying business with a focus in nonprofit management. The school I was at actually had a nonprofit management undergrad program. Nice. So that's kind of set me down this whole path of uh, wanting to focus on kind of business and, and nonprofit. And then um, played baseball, blew up my shoulder, had surgery, ended up needing to go to grad school to save insurance costs. So before I knew it, I had a master's degree in nonprofit <laughs> administration. And there I was, you know, a pretty young, uh, full-fledged charity nerd. So that's kind of how that happened. Wow. Sorry. I'm just like, I'm kind of like getting chills because you might've seen pictures of me in Indonesia. I was actually one of those. No way. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're the reason I'm doing I, this. <laughs> our paths have crossed before virtually. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's amazing. That's when I started grant writing. That's funny. That's a part no of way. my story. Yeah. The Asian tsunami. And I went there to do community development work um, with a go. nonprofit and, and realized that, you know, they don't necessarily need what we put in there without doing a needs assessment, they needed cash and they needed certain types of grants, yeah. learning how to communicate yeah. with people, learning yeah. the language, getting, you know, relationships building, and then being a liaison to connect them, you know, with what they needed with money, right? So be, with utilizing the skills of writing. So yeah, yeah so that's so funny so that that we both were inspired from that same event, which was tragic. And yeah. You know, um, as, as you said, like it does age us a bit, but as we move on, it's like, I, I just, I hope that's not forgot. You know what I mean? Because that was mm -hmm. such, it was such a huge thing and people did lose so much in that, you know, those communities and it was a worldwide event. I mean, just as we're going through now and yeah, I just hope it's one of those things that people remember how to respond well. And yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, <laughs> so interesting. Yeah. There but you yeah, go. that's you funny. Your, your, uh, master's in um, business, so that's good with that that focus on nonprofits, which that's really interesting. I love that. 
Yeah, it's it's becoming a little bit more more common now, but especially back then, you know, not that long ago, but there weren't a ton of schools that were offered. You normally you'd have to take a public policy and then it kind of touched on nonprofit, but there was very few specific nonprofit graduate programs and then I specialized in fundraising cuz same thing, you know, I I wanted to go into international development and then it's like they actually don't need more people like me in, you know, rural Zambia, where I ended up working. In fact, they shouldn't have me. (laughs) The best thing that I can do is probably, you know, raise awareness and funds for people there to do the work. And so that's really why I started focusing on marketing and fundraising, international development, and then kind of continued on from there. Oh, I love that. So yeah, yeah. So all you guys are listening or watching this, um, really important to follow your dreams and be inspired. Like that whole story gave me chills too. Like when you really find something that you're like, this is value, go forward and move into that. And just the world will open up as it has for you. But, and just kind of like talking about that. I love the title of your podcast, right? The freak show or the generosity freak show. And it's really like pivoting on that. Once again, that values base, like you said, you've had you know, growing up in that home and then being able to continue to contribute to the world. So I think that's amazing and that you're helping that uh, the next after Institute with that. But I just, I really wanted to talk about before we go into, cause I also want to talk about your blog a little bit, but your, sure. what you guys have going on for COVID. Cause I know that's at the forefront of a lot of people's minds and they're saying, okay, this is great. You have this Institute where you're helping people get online, where you're analyzing different sorts of online giving and what that looks like. So what during this time, because a lot of people all of a sudden they're online now, <laughs> it's like we're yeah. here now what? And they're kind of freaking out <laughs> as far as like, I need money now. How can I get donations, et cetera, et cetera. So can you talk about about those COVID resources um, that you have available and some of the, the research that is lent to this discussion. Yeah, and then the really like, uh, you know, sick way, I guess, uh, a lot of the research and work that we've been doing is, is now really important. And we yeah. wish people would have been doing a lot of this stuff and more interested years ago, but, you know, better late than never, I guess. So really when, when the pandemic really struck and there's this obviously huge increase in just like, what do I do, you know, questions. Uh, a lot of people were kind of quick to offer advice. Uh, other people just off, quick to offer, you know, I'm here to listen, which was great. And we kind of stood on the sidelines a little bit just because we don't know. I think that one of the, the coolest things about working for Next After and one of the things that made me want to work for Next After is just the open handedness of like, we don't know everything. Uh, we really don't. Often as consultants, you're put in this role where like, well, you must have the answers. And it creates this imbalance between like, you know, we who have the answers and you who do not. And I think that's not super healthy. And it's just not true. Any consultant in the consultants listening are laughing right now because they don't know, you know. And so what's so cool about our methodology about research and testing is you don't need to know, but you need to have a process to know how to know. And that's what testing is, right? So like, I don't know if you should send three emails or six but I know how to run a test to figure out if you should run three emails or six. And once you start taking on that mindset, it's actually very, very freeing. So when all this came up, we were saying, well, let's, let's accumulate some data and research before we kind of start wading into, you know, what people should or shouldn't do. And so we started running experiments with some of our clients and analyzing some of the experiments that other people submit to our library. And then uh, the other thing that we do in our research is we be, we become a donor ourselves. So uh, we'll make hundreds of donations to organizations and sign up for hundreds of email lists And then we'll capture that experience. What was the donation like? We answer 27 questions when we go through the donation flow and score people. And then we see how many emails did we get? Was it cultivation or solicitation? How many did we get in the first 45 days? Mm -hmm. You know, what's the cadence? What's the sequence? So we do all this analysis and we did and produce these research studies. And so we did a few of those last year. But then when this came, we said, well, you know what? We, We actually get all these emails still. So why don't we just see how these nonprofits are actually responding via email? 
So pretty quickly, we just kind of spun up this dashboard to say, here's how 152 nonprofits change their email volume or not in 2020 compared to 2019. Mm -hmm. And then we've got some data wizards who can do some cool stuff and figure out, did the email mention coronavirus or COVID-19? Is this a newsletter or a solicitation? And then we just chart it out over time. And uh, people seem to really like that because it at least shows what are other nonprofits doing? That's what we all want to know. You know, boards are asking, you know, well, you're saying we should fundraise, but what are other people doing? So to be able to show some data to say who is or isn't, and then we show the actual email example. So if you want to see what, you know, UNICEF is sending out, you can just click and see what UNICEF is sending. So that's like where we started. And then we pieced in uh, other data that we have from Google Analytics to show web traffic behavior, online giving behavior to show how is giving actually being impacted. So great, email volume's up, but are people responding? So to be able to throw in that other data set, we can say, yeah, actually conversion rate from email has actually gone up in the last three months and it's higher than it was last year. So email volume's up, but email response rate seemingly is also up. So then it gives people some more confidence to say, oh, maybe we should actually send a few more emails or maybe we should be you know, asking. So we wanted to provide some data and research in a more real-time fashion into the equation. Right. And thank you. Yeah, we'll have that link on the show notes. So definitely you can check that out because I think that's really important. And what, what exactly are you guys finding out then? Um, are you seeing like what specific, I know you mentioned you are seeing email volumes up that trend, um, email response rate is up that trend. Are you able to see specifically in the types of donations that are more targeted or seeing better response to that or any you know specifics? Yeah. So that's where our experiments with clients are really handy. So when we become the, the mystery donor, uh, mm-hmm. we don't know what works. We can right. tell you what emails we receive, what types of emails, how often, all that kind of stuff, who it's from. But we actually don't know if it's working or not. Those, you know, those are metrics that we don't have access to. But we do right. have access to our own client metrics. And so a couple of things that we've seen, one, recurring gifts in organizations that have been focusing on recurring giving have seen a ton of success. In Canada, I know Canada Helps reported a 50% increase in monthly gifts. And for a lot of our clients, they ran recurring giving campaigns, which maybe is counterintuitive of saying, you know, we need money now. Why are you focusing on recurring? But one, recurring donors are worth more than one-time donors after three months, but a lot more so after their life in their lifetime. And also it's a pretty easy ask. So instead of, you know, do you want to give a hundred dollars? You can say, Hey, could you chip in five bucks a month right now? You know, and it seems a lot more palatable for people who are maybe, you know, budget conscious or maybe have lost their job or something like that. So a combination of those things, plus the trend over the past three years has been an increasing amount of recurring donors, first time recurring donors. That's a lot of consumer behavior kind of blowing our way. You know, we purchase Netflix and food. We've got a food delivery service. So much is subscription based. People are choosing that for charitable giving. So recurring is one thing that we've seen with our clients. And then the other interesting thing is we saw, you know, just mentioning COVID or coronavirus isn't like a, a guaranteed success. Yeah. Uh, one organization tried to kind of stuff coronavirus messaging into a membership renewal and it bombed 80% decrease in revenue. Oh. It just, it didn't seem relevant. It, you know, mm-hmm. it's a public policy group and they're saying, please renew your membership. And then kind of like, oh, it's because Corona, it just didn't fit. Whereas yeah. another organization successfully tied their public policy to uh, an act in Congress to say, hey, we need to focus on, you know, short-term solutions and relief. Let's not worry about five years. Let's focus our you know, relief efforts, sign this petition, and then, hey, would you support us? They were able to draw that link and saw like a 40% increase in giving by focusing on mm-hmm. coronavirus. So it's not just like, hey, mention coronavirus. There, there's a little bit more nuance to that. And the overarching thing that we're finding is it has to be authentic. You can't just force your way in. And it doesn't mean you have to be on the front lines. Tons of nonprofits are impacted. So how do you make that kind of clear through line 
in donors' mm-hmm. minds. And if you can't, then it's maybe a negative because it right. feels it feels gross, you know. So those are some yeah. of the early things that we're finding. I like that. I think that's really important. So it's I from what you've seen so far, then is really to focus on your recurring your your gifts, your the donors that you already have, the ones that are out there, or even new ones to come and say instead of this one time give. Unless I think, like you said, it's authentic and it makes sense. Like maybe you're in a food drive right now and you need to get food drive totally. stuff out there, or you need to get PPE stuff out there. You know, protective gear. So you know, you're a health organization, nonprofit, right? So there could be something specific. So it's not blanketed, but moreover for many of the nonprofits, yes, you took a big hit right now. A lot of right nonprofits have, but it's going to be that recurring money for the next year or so that's going to help you rebuild, right? Um, it's that those are, you need operation funds right now, a lot of nonprofits, right? Just to operate. Yeah. So that's the easiest way to ask is to have recurring and it to be like, even like you said, five bucks a month, 20 bucks a month. And that gives people the ability to um, manage that financially too, right? Even I know in my online courses, I, I'm giving a sale during um, just till April 30, but it's at the same thing. It's like giving them six months to pay it. <laughs> you know what I mean, so it's, it's yeah. important to be like, we understand, even as a consumer, I understand, and I want to have more ability to pay monthly right now. Even if I have income coming in, I don't know what the next two months look like. Look like. So I want to make sure that I have some reserves. And being able to pay less per month is a lot more doable as a consumer, right? So thinking yeah. about your people and putting yourself in their shoes is really important to help shift that narrative, I think, and, and to figure out what you're going to do, right? It's just like, well, what do I want to do as a person who gives to nonprofits too, right? Or does yeah. it? So. Well, and a lot of the messaging around recurring is, A, when we do our studies, we found that there's actually not a lot of messaging around recurring. You know, about 10 to 12% of organizations default to recurring and only about 7% we found had something what we'd call a value proposition or why you should make a recurring gift when you make a one-time gift. So there's very little reason for people to give, but for some of the do provide it, it's often like, you know, help us you know, sustain into the future or like weather the storm or it's pretty organization centric, which is generally not a great thing for fundraising. Mm-hmm. But that message works really well right now because of course organizations need some stability to figure out how the heck are they going to ride out the storm? What are they going to do three months from now? If they're yeah. worrying about funding, how do they help people? Mm-hmm. So I think there's also a natural inclination of like, yeah, you know, I should actually give a little bit each month so that the organization can kind of you know, plan. So it's a confluence of factors, I think, that are, you know, making something like recurring successful right now. Now, how long that goes, I don't know. When we look at, you know, the recession of 2008 or something, there's normally like a bump, a slump, uh, a long recovery, and then even a bit of a a surge. So, you know, how long is this bump going to last? And will these recurring gifts stay once we get into more of the slump phase? It's TBD, but uh, hopefully, hopefully they do. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so you have this type of, of this is the data that you've been able to pull and we will definitely share that link. And just like a lot of the data that you have though, and a lot of the information you have, your courses is evergreen. So that means at this point in time, it works and it works always. Right? And these are things that you should be focusing on definitely at this point in time, but always. And I even talk about that with nonprofits. Yeah, totally. planning. Like you should always do that, but now you have a really good reason to like sit down and actually do it. So it's the yeah. same thing with this, right? Yeah. And in one of your, your blogs that you wrote, you have it two keys for nonprofit innovation. And I'll share this as well, because I thought it was really well written. And you talk about these two main keys. And can you kind of touch on those um, briefly? 
Yeah, sure. So um, the first key, it really came from a Jeff Bezos quote from Amazon quote of talking about, you know, he gets asked a lot about the future and, mm -hmm. you know, he's kind of pegged as a futurist. And his answer was like, I actually care less about things that will be different in the future. And what you should really do is focus on what will be the same 10 years from now. And I think that's actually really key too often, especially nonprofits, we get swept up in, you know, what's the next big thing? Is it text messaging or peer to peer or, you know, those types of things. And instead of trying to guess what the next social media channel is or next transaction style is, if we focus on the things that we know to be the same. Mm -hmm. So ask yourself, you know, in the future or during this pandemic, do people want more authentic communication or less authentic communication? Well, more, we know people want more authentic communication. Mm -hmm. Do they want more? kind of updates on the impact of their gift or less? Well, more impact. Do they want more transparency to know how their donations making a difference or less? Well, more, we know that that's true. So focus on those things. How can you be more transparent on the impact? How can you be more communicative and authentic? Those things will lead you to success, whether you're in a pandemic or not in a pandemic. Absolutely. And so I think that's what's you know really interesting seeing this now borne out in the data of some of the the research that we've done or what's good fundraising. Mm -hmm. It's actually just more important to do that now uh, yeah. than ever. So that's, that's like the, the first key is, you know, we can often get too wrapped up in, well, what's going to change and what's going to be different and yeah. like, no, what's, what's going to be the same and how can you invest more, you know, in that. Mm -hmm. So that's the first key. And then the second key is to actually spend less time worrying about which, what you don't know, just mm -hmm. embrace that you don't know it and try to find the answers to it. So, you know, it's this whole uh, agile methodology in Eric Reese and the lean startup of basically build, measure, learn loops of saying, what can we create? What can we learn? And then how do we kind of tweak and improve and create again? Or having, again, this process of finding out how to know. So again, I think it applies to the, the pandemic is, I don't know how long the bump will last or how the slump will last or what the best messaging is. But if you know how to figure out some answers around messaging in particular, well, then you don't need to know, but you can figure that out by communicating and running some tests and experiments. Mm -hmm. And that's so much more valuable. And what we've seen is a lot of organizations go kind of uh, silent or stagnant because they don't know what to do, right? right. So they're debating in boardrooms. Well, what do we say? Is that the right term? Are we being really relevant? Mm -hmm. And organizations that succeed in digital spend less time doing that and more time maybe sending an email to 10% of the list to see how they respond and what replies they get. Mm -hmm. And then based on that feedback, send it to the other 90% or just run a straight up split test and then use that messaging moving forward. Like there's speed and agility and freedom in that methodology of saying, again, we don't know, but we know how to figure it out. So I think those are two keys. And I, you know, that was the first post I wrote for next after two years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's actually really relevant in times like this is, you know, to ride out the storm. Yeah, absolutely. It jumped out at me and I was like, this is perfect. So yeah, so well done. But I, I think that's really important, like you're saying, as far as to see what works and um, even like looking at the basics. So for me too, it's like a lot of people are like, Holly, what, what social media platform should I be on as, an, as a consultant? You know, that sort of thing. And I say, well, you know, where it's more about how can you communicate and how can you mm -hmm. grow relationships? And then it's like, okay, yeah, LinkedIn right now in 2020, it's a great place for you to be. It might right. not always be, we're not always going to just preach, just use LinkedIn, but at the same time it was working and it's about, but it's moreover building relationships. So maybe you're like, well, I'm more comfortable on Instagram. You can build relationships there too, right? So it goes back to what works in building relationships for you, for your yeah. organization. So um, yeah, and it's, it's just really cool to see that instead of just to say, oh no, I have to be on Snapchat and I have to be on Twitter and I have to be on this and I have to be on that. Right. And then it's so diluted that there's no relationship building going on anymore. It's just yeah. 
content throw up. So it's like, yeah, like coming back and saying, well, what is the purpose? So I was really, yeah, I liked, I liked what you had to say. And the note that not to know, someone was trying to say fumbling into the unknown right now or something that, you know, I was talking mm-hmm. to a business leader yesterday and that's what she was saying. And she said, you know, we're trying out different methods as far as like how we're going to pivot our business. Um, they sell jewelry and that sort of thing. Right. And very social mm. enterprise. And now they're pivoting a lot more online for their online sales. And it's just like, you know what, that's what's working right now. And you know, yeah. that's where we're going with it. And that's like you said, that's the data they're getting orders and they're actually being able to, okay, let's test out the market, see if people want this. Now that they do, let's go ahead and make sure we're on Shopify and we have all of that sorted out and, and then doing the systems after the fact almost. So it's like running that that test, even if it's yeah. small, put it out there on Instagram, are people going to order? Yes, they want to order and then building the system instead of building the system and then it not working, right? Yeah. So can you kind of, yeah, can you talk about that? Because you guys are really um, in, especially with online um with different kind of online services that you have in digital marketing, um, it's very data driven. And I know a lot of the listeners, they might be like, well, what exactly does that mean? Can you kind of break it down a little bit? I think, I think a lot of it is the starting point has to be uh, data in terms of shaping strategy, right? So oftentimes people say, you know, for example, one that we hear all the time is uh, around digitals. We want to reach millennials. Mm-hmm. Right? So how, how can we reach millennials? And we would often push back and be like, well, is that really what you want? Like mm-hmm. what's, what's the actual problem? The actual problem is, is you want sustainable revenue. You think the solution is millennials, but just asking a better question mm-hmm. in terms of how do we have sustainable revenues? Now you can come up with a different strategy and there's zero data that shows you should focus on millennials at all, mm-hmm. right? So then if you can go into the data and you show, did you know the average age of an online donor is actually 67 years old? Did you know that people 75 plus make more online donations than any other generation, right? These are like stats that people probably don't know, but that's what the data says. So right. then you can rely. Say like, give like 30% more or whatever. There's like these little, right. yeah, they're not looking at the overall trends, which right. that's amazing. Well done people over 67. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's amazing. Right. And so, or even just things like, oh, well, I don't use Facebook anymore. And it's like, well, I don't really care what you use or not. It's what your donors actually use. And if they're 55 plus, which is probably who your donors are, your online donors, they're probably using Facebook, which means you should probably focus on Facebook Mm -hmm. and who cares about TikTok or whatever it is. Right. Right. So like that's, that's where data kind of informs strategy at a high level of what channel should you be pursuing? That's why we focus so much on email. Mm-hmm. All of the data and research we have, that the more quality emails you have and the more quality emails you send means the more revenue you get, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. So until you've really, you know, done everything you can do within email fundraising, uh, how much should you really be focused on some other channels or some other tactics? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's where data should guide some strategy. But then also the, the other type of data, more like um, experience data should guide the how. Mm-hmm. Or like, or the what message, right? So saying, you know, do you focus on this particular offer or program or this particular offer or program and should you use a visual or not? You know, then, then you can kind of do the user experience type testing. So it works on both levels of, you know, it points, hey, you should probably be focusing on acquiring emails from 55 year old plus people. Well, how do you acquire those emails? Well, I'm not sure. It's probably not your newsletter, but what piece of content can you create? Is it an ebook or an online course? Create those two content pieces and see which one people are more likely to, to give you their email for, right? So that's like the, the kind of approach that we have. So data informs strategy, but then it also informs kind of the message based on uh, what people actually do. 
Mm -hmm. And I think email, like you're just to go back to that. And, and this is something I've talked about before a little bit too, a long time ago. So I'm glad we're having this conversation now is email so important. It's, you know, a lot of people are focused on just social media right now. Cause that's like sexy, trendy kind of stuff, but it's email. You're going into someone's house is the way I look at it. Right. It's like, you're saying here, you're, when you give someone your email address, you're like, here's, here's the keys. <laughs> Come on in. Right. Make yeah, yourself yeah. comfortable and I'm going to entertain what you have to say. Whereas social media is just kind of like, I'm out in the city walking down. <laughs> you know, there's a million other people walking back and forth and I might look up and see a notice out on a shop and I might not. And that's your social media post, right? Yeah. Like it's so distracting. It doesn't really, even though it looks like it hits, you know, it might've gone through a million people's feeds or popped up, but right. Tons of focus, it's not there, right? Whereas your yeah. email, it's like, oh, you're at the house. We're having a coffee. Like that's, that's yeah, so important. Exactly. So I think and it's, it's so ironic, right? Because yeah. social media is supposed to be like the great connector. And on an individual level, I think it is like there's friends and family that I connect with on Instagram and not email right. and personal relationships. But on the organization side, if you look at a lot of, you know, organization pages, it's pretty broadcast. It's pretty yeah. like we are going to post to you and maybe there's some comments, whereas everything that we suggest you do in email is super personal, like yeah. no design, you know, very personal and relevant talk mm -hmm. like a human to a human. Yeah. And it is more like, what would you just say to someone over coffee? We'll put that in an email. And yeah. it actually is very personal. People start replying back and mm -hmm. it's a lot more relational than even, you know, something like social media is. So I think that's, that's a great point of like this thing that was supposed to be so social and connected. It wasn't really developed for brands. It was developed yeah. for people. Yeah. And some, something like email that was kind of maybe built more for brands is turning more into this, you know, personal connection thing, you know, on a human level. So it's just interesting how, how that happens. It really is. So yeah, so I love that. And this is something simple. So any size organization can do like, I know you guys work with a lot of really big nonprofits. You also work with medium sized nonprofits, but even startup nonprofits, even if you know, you can do this, you can look at, okay, how can we reach people? Cause they're at home right now and they're probably gonna be at home for a while. So we definitely need to a be online. <laughs> we need to be out there. And then, but you know, do you need to hire like you know, $50,000 worth of, you know, different people doing different things and do this crazy website that cost you $100,000. No, you don't. <laughs> it can be very basic, right? It's just, okay, how do we want, I think messaging, messaging, messaging is so important and not getting caught in the weeds, like you're saying of, oh, I have to have this type of video and it has to be highly produced and, you know, mm -hmm. all of these types of things like, oh my gosh, no, you don't just like get down to basics. So can you kind of talk about that too? Like what do people need? Um, when you're looking at, okay, it's great to be online. You might want to have a website of some sort, at least a landing page, not just a social media account, but like, you know, what do they actually need? What are some basics that can get people um, kind of up to speed? Yeah. So generally speaking, when you're raising money or capital of, of any kind, you need someone to give, you need a way to collect, you need something to fund, some kind of project to fund. And you need like a, an impetus or something to kind of force the question or make the ask essentially. Mm -hmm. Right. So in, in the context of a nonprofit, you have to have some way to collect money, ideally a donation page. Ideally, it's not like a, a PayPal or a third party. Hopefully it's your own donation page. You can control the experience and get all the data, but you need some kind of donation page. You need some kind of project to fund. So that could just be generally your organization, but the language you use is a value proposition or how do you answer the question? Why should I give to you as opposed to another organization or not at all? Mm -hmm. um, basically you have to answer that question. So again, when we do our analysis and make donations, hundred organizations, we look at how they're answering and too many nonprofits have nothing mm -hmm. on a donation page or whatever. There's zero copy, zero answer. They're assuming, you know, yeah, just, just yeah. like a form. 
<laughs> right? Which is all cost and no value. Like you're assuming people know who you are, what their money will do, mm-hmm. the impact it will have. And we see this with small organizations with smaller donor bases who a lot of the people probably do know that because it's yeah. smaller, but that's a big barrier to growth. As soon as it's three degrees removed, I don't know anything about your organization. So right. you're making me make all kinds of assumptions. So you mm-hmm. have to answer that question. And then through the minds of the donors, not we need your help. Right. We need your help today to provide, you know, help to give hope to the homeless or something like hope yeah. is one of those saturated words. And it's like, you're just like every other nonprofit, right? So yeah. being more specific or tangible or clear mm-hmm. why I should support you in particular. And mm-hmm. then you can go into things like credibility and trust marks and things like that. Mm-hmm. So you have to have like a reason for people to give. You have to have a way to collect. And then you have to actually ask, you yeah. know, ideally through email, it could be through social, it could be face to face, but while we're all wired for generosity, none of us typically wake up in the morning and go, I'm just going to give money away today, right? There's always some kind of interrupter, something that prods us. It could be a conversation we had. It could be a a TV show that we watched, but there's some impetus that forces us to think about giving. Mm -hmm. And that's, that has to kind of be a component. And then you obviously need someone to actually make that ask, which is normally someone working at a nonprofit. So Mm -hmm. the, the biggest thing that we see is, you know, there's ways to improve and optimize the way to collect in your donation form for sure. But the biggest piece is back to your point, message, message, message. It's the Mm -hmm. biggest driver of donations and revenue is answering that question, why someone should give to you today. And very few, not enough organizations do a really good job of answering that question. Right, right. No, I think that's great. Thank you for breaking it down and just keeping it really simple because those are the main components. And as we look at um, the different types of courses that um, you guys have at Next After Institute, can you kind of talk about those a little bit and how people can get involved? Yeah, sure. So again, our, our you know, approach on the Institute was kind of saying like, well, what do we take that we see that nonprofits aren't doing or are doing? And what are we seeing that works? And how do we build trainings to help all nonprofits do that? So we built the first course was actually uh, turning Facebook's likes into donors, where a lot of people are asking the question, well, like, great, we, you know, so we have social media, like, what do we actually do? And it's actually the methodology we use to this day, which is pretty much how do you create a content offer and advertise on Facebook to have people view a content offer to give you their email and then use email to move people towards a donation. Kind of what worked four years ago, that's what continues to work today. So that course, it's really long, but it kind of walks you through each step and kind of the why and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we built other courses of diving in specifically to donation pages, emails, and A-B testing. Mm -hmm. Uh, We call that like our core curriculum. If Mm -hmm. if you can test, send emails, get emails, and point to donation page, those four things, that's our core curriculum. And then we've added some other things around it, like year-end fundraising. Mm -hmm. Most organizations do a year-end campaign. So that's more of how to walk through a year-end campaign copywriting for nonprofit. Uh, We partnered with Amy Harrison out of the UK to really say, well, what are the tactics to write really good copy or writing or text that converts, not just kind of cool, but like needs leads to action. We built an intro course that's kind of a feeder. So it kind of covers on all those ones. Mm -hmm. And then uh, our newest course is Google Analytics for nonprofits. So if you're going to be data driven and data centered or data based, how do you actually get the data that you need? And that's almost all the time going to originate or end up in Google Analytics. So that's really a a more in-depth course of how do you set it up? How do you make sure you get the right data to then Mm -hmm. make those decisions? So uh, we'll keep continuing to, to create some courses, but those are the ones that we have right now. I love that. And, and the, what's so great about a lot of that is, um, like I said, you can start small. You can start very simple. You don't need to invest a lot of money. Um, but as you see things that may start to work, right, hopefully <laughs> you're going, okay, now yeah. 
up. I have good messaging. People are starting to give. Now I might be thinking about investing more into Facebook ads. Now I might right. be, you right. So then you're like, okay, so this is working. So now I want to invest in it, but I don't exactly know what to do. So that's where these courses could really come in handy as far as walking you step-by-step step through these different approaches. So you wisely invest your money and get a higher return on those donations and building your community. So I think that's what's really, I was really gravitated towards that, your, your uh, institute, because of you have a very, it's a very circular as far as looking at the different things to really build that. And specifically for nonprofits, because there's tons of other courses out there for regular um, business. Right. But this is specifically tailored for nonprofit. And I know we were talking about this before is nonprofits and for profits are different with their messaging and they're different with their impact and their outcome and how they track ROI and, you know, all of these different things. So I think yours having a very um, specific niche in the market is important. So yeah, I definitely appreciate that. And then you also have a membership. So if people want to um, join you as far as um, getting all of your courses, they can be a part of the membership. So there's, you guys can definitely check that out and see um, the different courses that they provide on I'll put in the show notes for next after Institute yeah but that's great and then the last thing I just wanted to touch on before we wrap up here um Brady and I appreciate your time today this has been fun I'm learning a lot yeah is on your podcast so um the generosity freak show so can you kind of talk about that I love the name so so much fun to say (laughs) yeah thanks well that's that's all our boss uh my boss Tim so um for our conference every year we we have a pretty uh extravagant theme Mm-hmm. And so last year, um, it was the greatest showman, um, oh, okay. mm-hmm. like the, the Hugh Jackman yeah. movie, which I love I listened to the soundtrack. last year was that. <laughs> oh, there you go. Concert. Yeah. So, so at our conference, we had uh, a, a circus troupe and they did like, God. you know, people pouring drinks from stilts and it was pretty, pretty out there. But anyways, when we were naming the, the podcast show is when we were very much in like the circus kind of theme. Mm-hmm. and uh so that's kind of like where the name comes from in terms of the freak show side of things and the tent and things like that but the podcast is really uh again like we don't know everything we 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 know quite a bit around direct response and digital and, and online fundraising but that's such a narrow component or just one component of the bigger generosity you know picture mm-hmm. you know grant writing we don't know anything about grant writing <laughs> you know don't come to us and ask us about grant writing i think that's one of the things that's interesting to me about the nonprofit space, people go, oh, you work with nonprofits and they throw like one and a half million nonprofits into one bucket Oh yeah, where you're in fundraising. And it's like, (laughs) there's a huge difference between the way that we raise funds and the way that you raise funds. Some common threads for sure, but like very different. So the the podcast is hopefully talking to people like you. We'll have you on to talk about grant funding and really explore these other areas of um, research. Um, We get a lot of authors and researchers talking about what they're learning about, you know, human behavior in the nonprofit space or not. And then a lot of nonprofits. So we try to highlight like, hey, what are you doing? What's working? Yeah. You know, what experiments are kind of you running? And then a lot of vendors, uh, because a lot of vendors are doing a lot of the research. So, you know, donation platforms and uh, conversion rate optimization shops and things like that. I'd love to have more donors on to get more of their perspective. Yeah. It's just, it's, I'm not as plugged into donors. I know a lot of vendors and a lot of nonprofits. And then we're also trying to find, you know, a bit of like, well, what's next? So people that are maybe working in AI or people that are doing more advanced uh, data, sophisticated models and things like that to try to, you know, it's less practical maybe of like, here's how to do it and more thought provoking. It's the idea. So that's what we're trying to go for. 
Not like that. Yeah. So looking at like the Teslas of the world. <laughs> so yeah, it's important. Yeah, a little bit. I love it. Yeah. And I think that's great because um, even, you know, for this podcast too, that's why I was like, yes, I would love to have you on the show because it, this isn't something I specialize in and I know people need it and I know it's a good conversation to have. Right. So it's really looking at what is other types of funding related to nonprofits. And this is definitely a specialty, um, but it's an important piece that, um, you know, you might be have the best project in the world. And if you can't communicate to that to people, you know, then, and if you don't have a way set up, like you said, to actually receive donations, you're not going to get that many. And it's not going to be that people don't care because if they understood where you're coming from, they probably would care, but it's yeah, about having totally. the system set up. Yeah. Yep. So this has been yeah. great. So where can people find you? So I think actually LinkedIn is a place I've been enjoying a lot. So you can yeah. just search for Brady Josephson or it's linkedin.com slash in slash Brady Josephson. Oh, yeah, so that's me. Good. yeah, that's, yeah. that's way easier. Twitter too. I've been getting back into Twitter. I'm real up and down on Twitter. I'm into it right now, but I'll probably, you know, fade away. So that's, <laughs> that's me. But next after go to nextafter.com And then uh, we put together a landing page nextafter.com slash pod that will have a couple featured resources and a few discounts mm -hmm. for you. If you're interested in some of those courses or, uh, membership or this kind of coronavirus response page. We'll, uh, we'll get that up there so you can access those things. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah, so I'll definitely have all this links in the show notes as well. So please do check it out um, and definitely check out the, the Corona page. I think it's going to be really good for you guys to really gather some data as far as if you're thinking, how do I do it right now? How do I go ask for money? So at least that page will show, well, here's what people are doing. And you can kind of say, oh, okay, I, that resonates with me. This doesn't resonate with me, et cetera. Right. So it just gives you that. I think that's so valuable to have that information. So I appreciate you guys taking the time to put that together. Um, yeah, absolutely. But yeah. So thank you so much, Brady, for coming on the show and we'll definitely stay connected. Yeah. So any yeah, last words of good. wisdom for people during this time of what they can do as far as online uh, fundraising? I think the thing that we almost always end our workshops in, in any type of training is, is just get started and get better. I think that's the thing, you know, sitting on the sidelines or waiting for things to be perfect never works, but getting started now and finding out how to get better pretty much always works. So yep. whether you're in a pandemic or not, I think that's, that's the way to, to, to uh, do better on digital. Awesome. Thank you so much. So get started and get better. Love it. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you soon, Brady. Thanks again. Good. Thank you. Do you want to join the Changemaker Tribe and get courses, downloadable checklists, samples of awarded grants, behind-the-scenes live Q&A with myself and the Tribe, and discounts on grant services? Be sure to join the Changemaker membership at www.grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash membership. Thank you for listening to this Grant Writing and Funding podcast. I hope you've enjoyed your time. For more questions, email holly at holly at grantwritingandfunding.com or visit www.grantwritingandfunding.com.